Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Peter Podcast. I'm your host, reporter Taylor Clysdale, and with me this week is Dave McGowan. Dave is running for council in Monaghan Ward in the October 22nd municipal election, and today we're going to be talking about preparing for oncoming growth. You know, we're not going to we're not going to be able to solve the housing costs in Toronto. We're not going to be able to stop people from coming. And so, again, I think it comes down to our strategic plan and, and our ability to look forward, our ability to to plan out further, um, so that we can anticipate that growth, that we can anticipate that. Uh, we are going to have enough housing, that our developers are going to be building enough new neighborhoods and rental apartments and low-income housing. And we're also going to be talking about creating neighborhoods instead of just building subdivisions. So, hope you enjoy the show. My name is Dave McGowan and I'm running for uh, council, city council in the Monaghan Ward 2. Yeah, maybe you can explain a little bit about, bit your, yeah, a little bit about your background. <laughs> Uh, I you spent about 10 years in, uh, in my early career as an IT guy working in uh, offices in downtown Toronto doing voicemail systems and telephone switches. Which sounds incredibly fun. So basically, you know, when you get into voicemail jail, I was mm -hmm. the guy that made the voicemail jail for you. Um, and then after about 10 years of doing that, I switched careers, went back to school and took a broadcast journalism program at Seneca. Did that for two years and from there dragged my wife and young daughter and, and soon-to-come son uh, across the province for a few years until we settled here in Peterborough. Well, congratulations I, on the journalism and the son. Thank you. My daughter actually turns 13 today, which oh. is mildly scary. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so I came here to Peterborough in uh, 2009 to work for Checks. Worked there for a number of years covering the courts, a lot of the criminal trials that were in town, uh, things like Stanley Tippett and Russell Williams and those. I covered all of those trials. And then... Uh, Spent a few years as a stay-at-home dad. Now I work for my wife. She's an occupational therapist who has her own mm -hmm. practice. And as I like to say, she does all the things we get paid for, and I do a lot of the things we don't get paid for. <laughs> so. so you went from IT to news to occupational therapy assistant. Well, I'm not her assistant. I'm her administration. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why I confuse things. I am not trained at all as to be an occupational therapist, but I do the accounting, the billing, the, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the paperwork and stuff like that. And hopefully soon, uh, city councillor. Yes, hopefully. It's, uh, it's certainly been an interesting experience to go from the reporting side of, of uh, campaigns to the inner workings of campaigns. I've uh, certainly learned a lot about how to run a campaign and how to, how to get about the business, but it's been really rewarding. I've really found it uh, just an incredible experience to deep dig that deep into the city's issues, uh, talk to that many people, find out how many people are really just passionate about this city and, and where they think it should go. Yeah, why don't you explain a bit about why you decided to run for council? Um, I've always been politically uh, interested. I've never been really politically active. Uh, as I like to say to people who, uh, when I ask them for signs, the first sign I ever put on my lawn for a political campaign was my own about three weeks ago. Um, but I decided to run, you know, I, I'm uh, on a personal level. I'm at a point in my life where uh, um, I think I can commit myself to the job. I think I can commit myself to the city in a very useful and, and practical way. Um, and from a city point of view, you know, I think we're facing a great many challenges. And I think we really need to have a forward-looking council that will, um, you know, help deal with those challenges, not just to, to solve them for today, but make sure that we have the resources in place moving forward. Uh, I live out in the West End. I live in Monaghan Ward. And, you know, we get a lot of the new development as, as the North and the East Ends do. Um, I'm really concerned about how that development is happening. Uh, uh, we need the development, but I'm very concerned that we're not creating neighborhoods. We're just creating subdivisions. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that the city is facing that you had mentioned that uh, you would like to, to take on or, or go from a new perspective on if you were elected to council? 
Well, I think one of the major th- problems, uh, or not problems, but issues that we're going to have over the next uh, 10, 20, 30 years is, is, is housing and, and how we develop as a city. We are pegged to get an incredible uh, increase in our population, upwards of close to 50% increase in our population, bringing us into the 110, 120, 130,000 people living in the city over the next 20 to 30 years. Um, so we, we're going to need to make massive investments in our in our developments we're going to have a lot of new neighborhoods being built and that's what i want to make sure happens is that we have neighborhoods being built not just uh, subdivisions and and i think one of the things that's been lacking out in the west end is we we have no local walkable retail i love to say it's a great neighborhood to go for a walk but there's nowhere to go for that walk um you know we need to make sure we have the roads and the transportation systems in place that will handle the traffic not just today but moving forward and we want to make sure that as we develop that we have a very strong strategic plan that will guide not just the city and council on how and where they allow developments to happen but also guide our developers so they know where they're allowed to develop we it'll help us avoid a lot of the delays and the, the fights with the ontario municipal board and things like that if we clearly laid out the expectations we have of our developers and the expectations we have of what our city is going to look like in the future so that, that for me was a really major um impetus to step into the ring to, to put my name forward for council um you know i'm very concerned i don't want to end up a, a city of 20,000 homes on the side of the highway with a couple of box stores in the middle and, you know, there's your neighborhood. I think mm-hmm. we can do more than that and I think we should demand more than that. So what is a neighborhood to you then? What type of neighborhoods would you like to see created in Peterborough? Well, I think we have, you know, I grew up in Toronto and Toronto's a city of, of neighborhoods and for people outside of Toronto who've never lived there, it's hard sometimes to grasp that when you go downtown or whatever, but I grew up in a really great small neighborhood, very much a small town feel right in the heart of the city. And from that, you had the same things you would get when I lived in small towns in northern Ontario. You know your neighbors. You know, you hang, I see them at the rink. You see them all over the place. So for me, we have great neighborhoods. We have East City. We have the South End. We have the Avenues. There's so many great neighborhoods in the city. But what we're failing to provide in the new developments is those amenities that make it a great neighborhood. They bring the community together. So I talk a lot to people I'm knocking on the door with about... Um, local walkable retail. So I would love to see a streetscape similar or, or a retail area similar, not necessarily in aesthetic, but in, in purpose of Hunter Street in East City, along Sherbrooke or Braley or Park Hill, that local hub of neighborhood shops that will bring people together, you know, a cafe, a local pub, a patio. It's got a bit of a street presence. It's where in your neighborhood you're going to go to grab that quick bag of milk or, mm-hmm. you know, a loaf of bread, a small grocery or a convenience store. And that creates a neighborhood hub where you run into your neighbors. You walk there, you bump into your neighbors. You bump into the neighbors you know, you bump into the neighbors you don't know. You meet new people. And I think that creates the sense of neighborhood. We have these great little pockets of developments. You walk through, you know, uh, uh, the Glen Forest area, um, that subdivision through there, and, and Ravenwood and those neighborhoods. They're really lovely developments. You know, they need a few more years to mature and for the renovations to happen so the cookie-cutter house look doesn't, isn't so prevalent. But you, they're great neighborhoods, but they don't have that resource of, of local walkable retail, of... of um, good local parks. Uh, you know, I think a splash pad out in the West End is something that is sorely lacking. I know, um, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter's turning 13, my son is 10. They're getting a little bit to the end of that age for it. But those are, again, that that um, neighborhood hub that people get out of. Your kids are playing at the park, you're sitting on the bench, watching them, reading a book, whatever. Somebody else sits down next to you, start chatting. It creates that neighborhood. And I think those are the kind of resources that we've really been lacking 
in the West End and in a lot of these new developments. And again, I go back to a strategic plan. I think if we really focus on where we want to develop, how we want to develop, we can create those pockets of that little bit of retail. You know, we do need the larger retail as well, as, especially as we continue to grow in the north. We're going to need a grocery store, those kind of larger retail options. But it's those neighborhood local hubs that really help bring the neighborhood together. So why do we need a neighborhood that's walkable, that has parks and retail where people can meet and mingle? What's wrong with having houses in one area and then you get in your car and you drive to a retail area and then you get back in your car and you drive back to... to back home. Well, I mean, I think you could answer that question just by thinking of what, what great neighborhoods you like to be in, right? You look around the city with the neighborhoods with character. Those are the ones that are vibrant. Those are the ones that come up with the ideas of the Gilmore Street Sale or or the Hootenanny on Hunter or, you know, those, those events that bring the community together, bring people from outside that neighborhood into the neighborhood. Um, if you lack those amenities, if you don't have those kind of resources, if we're simply building houses and driveways and roads, then the neighborhood simply becomes a place to park your car and your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no character to it. There's no com- sense of community. There's no sense that that you you belong to something more than I live on the street at this number. Um, you know, and I think that's key to city building. I think if you look in any great city, uh, small or large, they have great neighborhoods. They have those character neighborhoods. They have those areas where there's a certain vibe to it that draws people in and draws people to want to live there and be a part of that community rather than simply, eh, nice house at a good price. Mm-hmm. So how do you get developers on board with creating these these neighborhoods as opposed to just subdivisions? Well, again, I go back to the strategic plan. I know the city's working on it now, but I think it's been far too long since this has been a, a valid document. You need to create a strategic plan that really does lay out, not specifically like we want a convenience store here and we want this here, but the, the general idea of retail, the general idea of where you want your houses, of your higher density apartments. If you lay those out really, really well and you stick to them, then the developers know what to expect. So they come in, they buy a property, they look to a property to to develop on. They're going to know what the criteria is. They're going to know what they're going to be able to do with it. The problem we have a lot now is that we have um, developers trying to do as much as they can, which is absolutely their right, but they then you know run into problems where the city wants to say oh well maybe this isn't the best way or we have an environmentally protected land here and you know then we get into the omb fights i think if you are fair and upfront with developers about what we expect you can work on a collaborative relationship it's really hard for them to do any quality building if they're constantly in a shifting landscape if, mm-hmm. if one day they buy a property and expect to be able to do this and then find out halfway through they can't do it. Well, obviously, they're going to fight to, to try and make the money they expected to make. So that's one element. Good, strong strategic plan that is, is followed and adhered to. I think you want to make sure that you, you know, I mean, we have development fees. There's ways of, of working with developers to entice them to to build, you know, include some low income housing. That's also another huge issue in the city when it comes to our housing issues is is the affordability and the vacancy rate. So we do need more rental property. So I think the city needs to incentivize developers, whether that be through um, ease of getting their projects done or or laxing off on some development fees. I think there's ways you can negotiate and work with them. And I want to be open to those ideas of how we get the housing we need, the, the rental facilities we need, the low-income housing we need, um, by working with our developers and cooperating so that it's a win-win for everybody. There's lots of opportunity here in town. Uh, and there's going to be lots of opportunity for the next 
several decades and hopefully way longer than that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think if we establish that we have a good working relationship with our developers, we can understand what they want, they can understand what we're desiring, then I think you can work together and you can negotiate and you can find ways of, of working together. And there's an interesting, uh, two different thoughts that I've heard from both of our mayoral candidates in regards to uh, asking for developers to designate a certain percentage of units in any housing development as being affordable. Um, you know, the mayor, uh, Daryl Bennett, says that it's not the city's place to be doing that. Uh, whereas, you know, mayoral candidate Diane Tarian says that it should be the city's place to say X number of units in your development has to be affordable. Where do you stand on on that debate? Well, I think the city certainly has a role. I, to say the city doesn't have a role, I think, is abdicating our own responsibilities to to provide the services and the resources our, our residents need. I think the city does have a role. So does the province. So does the federal government. We need to ensure we have a council that is working well with all three levels of government, themselves and the other two levels of government, to ensure that we have a plan that's that we can that is realistic, that we can actually implement, that we can actually get the housing built. Um, at the same time, I think it's incumbent on the city to work with developers. And, you know, we put a lot of money into um, housing, into things like the Brock Mission and those kind of places. And I think we can have an equally significant and equally um, responsible investment in low-income housing by working with our developers. I, I'm very much against the idea of... of sort of here's your low-income housing building. You know, here's here's where all the poor people live. And, you know, we've seen that example done many times before, and it often leads to a lot of problems within that, that specific community. I think if you have mixed communities where people are just living next to their neighbors and their neighbor might be the lawyer or their neighbor might be somebody who's struggling, um, I think those create uh, uh, better neighborhoods, and I think they help us... Um, avoid a lot of the social issues that can come across, come along with uh, creating a, a ghettoized type place. But I do believe that the city has a responsibility to work with developers. I think there are ways that we can either purchase or, or negotiate units that can be affordable, that can be geared to income. Uh, you know, we do have a housing strategy, so I think that needs to be a part of it, absolutely. So you mentioned earlier uh, the, the, the role of the provincial and federal governments in housing as well. Um, and, you know, there's been a federal housing strategy, which I've heard from a couple of candidates as say it just hasn't been coming fast enough. Um, it's kind of unconfirmed what the province's housing strategy is going to be, if any. Um, so as, as a city, should we be kind of waiting for these higher level of governments to get involved? What should we be doing in the meantime, or should we be coming up with our own solutions? Well, as I said, I think there are a number of things that we can do as a city to get things rolling now. We certainly need, if we're going to really properly address the issue, we certainly need to have the support of the province and the federal government. I agree the federal uh, housing strategy, which is, is, if comes to fruition, I think will be an excellent strategy, but it has been very slow coming, and we are in crisis. We have a, a less than 1% vacancy rate in the city. I'm sure you've heard this before from the other candidates. We have a significant housing shortage, especially given the fact that we are going to see a significant increase in population. We need to be planning and dealing with these issues now. If we wait much longer, the problem is just going to be compounded to be that much more difficult. Um, <clears throat> I'm unsure of what will happen with our current uh, provincial government. We're still waiting to see. Um, I have concerns. They've they've uh, rejigged the books, uh, and whatever your opinion of that is, is is up to you. I'm not commenting on how they came to that number, but they are projecting a $15 billion deficit. If that's the case, I have very big concerns that a lot of the social services will be cut, that a lot of our most vulnerable people will suffer um, as they try and straighten that out. So 
I'm unsure of what will happen there. I hope, I'm hopeful that we will have a strong partnership with the, both the provincial and federal governments, and I think that's what council needs to work towards and be ready for. Um, but as I said, there's a great many things that we can do as a city to alleviate and to start working on the problem. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll dive into some of those things and a couple of other issues, but we're going to take a really short break sure. and be right back right. and uh, look forward to talking more on this. Excellent. Awesome. back on the Peter podcast. Excellent. Welcome back. And uh, let's talk about a couple of things that uh, people may or may not care about. Mm -hmm. I assume they care about them, like Parkway, PDI. You would know more than me because you are going door to door. It's it's interesting. I I, Truthfully, the most frustrating door knocking, I don't care if you like what I say, the most frustrating door knocking for me is when you hit somebody who just absolutely has no interest, just won't even take a pamphlet or a two-second conversation, just closes the door in your face, just has no interest in it. Those I find the most frustrating. <laughs> but truthfully, for the most part, people are, are very receptive. Uh, I think people are very concerned. I think there's a lot of, I think this is going to be a very interesting election. I think there's a lot of, of choice and, and some very differing ideas uh, being presented. So I, I'm, I'm excited for this election one way or the other. So do you have people who uh, shut the door on you and lock it after, if you, depending on your opinions on some issues? Uh, yeah, I've certainly had people. I've had people who, you mentioned the Parkway, of, um, you start going into your spiel at the door, your, your routine, and uh, I've had somebody say, stop right there, what's your view on the Parkway? And I've said, I'm <laughs> against the bridge, but for connecting uh, Medical Drive in the Parkway, thank you very much, lost my vote, and you know, that's fine. You, you, I understand that people have specific issues, and especially something as... as uh, and trying as the parkway has been for the last 70 years for the city. I can certainly understand it. I, I do wish, though, they would, would uh, take a little more time to... I'm sure there are other issues that are important to them as well. Yeah, and, and just diving into the parkway, too. And, you know, it's it's that's something I've heard from a couple of people, is that that extension of medical drive needs to be finished. Um, but not the rest of the, the parkway? So the, the extension from medical drive to the parkway, I think, needs to be extended, continued, and that's mainly for the, the access to the hospital. Um, the bridge over the parkway, I'm adamantly against. I think that that is simply, uh, at this point in time... The bridge e- over Jackson's Park? Yeah, okay. the bridge over Jackson Park is, is too expensive to build, too expensive to maintain, um, too much of a, too expensive from the damage it would do to one of our, our best natural and recreational resources in the city. Um, as far as the north end part of the, the, the parkway, I haven't studied it a whole lot. I can uh, My preference would be not to continue it, but I certainly see the argument for it, and I would be open to hearing uh, more on that, and, and especially from our, our councillors in the north end. I think um, you'd want to take their lead on that. Um, but I think there are also other ways that we can get around and solve the problems. People complain about the traffic in our city, and I think our traffic in our city is actually pretty good. I think what we have is a number of choke points, a number of problem areas within the city that really need to be addressed. One of those is certainly the Shemong, Park Hill, Park Hill from the Parkway or from Monaghan Drive to um, basically the canal is all mm-hmm. kind of a mess. I think if we we spend a bit of time and an effort to rebuild those roads so they handle the traffic that they're currently dealing with uh, some proper painted lines, some turn lanes, some quality uh, um, signal coordination. I think we can alleviate a lot of that problem and not need to do the bridge. Um, you know, and I think we also need to look at our overall traffic strategy. We worry about what's going to happen in the future. So I think we want to make sure that we're, we're looking not just to where traffic is going today, but where traffic will be going in the years to come mm-hmm. and looking at an overall traffic strategy. I know out on the West End, just to extend it a little further, we Certainly, uh, the plans are to rebuild Park Hill and Sherbrooke and, and Braley, um, but they really need to be done with a focus on not just what we need for today, but what we're going to need 
five years down the road, ten years down the road. Yeah, and I know uh, that 407 extension is coming. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, there's a wave of growth that's expected to come along with that. And those are all people who are probably going to have at least one car, maybe two cars. Um, they're going to want to buy homes, which yep. you know we've already discussed, and they're going to be driving and cycling and walking on our roads and sidewalks. Exactly. And you know, and I and I, you, you mentioned the 407. We've also got the Go Train going out to Bowmanville. We have uh, the potential, uh, from what I understand, a fairly good potential of via rail service returning to Peterborough, and not um, via rail service that is a Peterborough destination. But the from what I understand is that uh, Via is contemplating moving the Via Ottawa or sorry the Toronto Quebec City line off of the Lakeshore route and into what would come through Peterborough. So we'd have fairly regular daily service if that happened. Hmm. Um, you know, all of these things are benefits. And I, you know, I firmly believe that as people are being priced out of the uh, GTA, so will businesses. And so we want to make sure that we have the transportation network in place and we have the serviceable lands in place that we can take advantage of those buildings, of those uh, uh, businesses that are looking for new places to set up shop. I, I really can't understand why we couldn't be at the top of most lists of places to go. Um, again, if we have a strong strategic plan, if we have the resources in place to service them, and we have the land available. We, this should be a very desirable place for a great many people and businesses to come. So let's say we do get on the top of those lists and we become a desirable place for people to come and live and work. How do we make sure that the people who live here now aren't priced out of our own community by people who sell their homes in Toronto? They come, they buy property here, and you know that's part of the reason why we're in a housing crisis right now. It, it is part of the problem, and and you know we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to solve the housing costs in Toronto. We're not going to be able to stop people from coming. And so, again, I think it comes down to our strategic plan and, and our ability to look forward, our ability to to plan out further um, so that we can anticipate that growth, that we can anticipate that uh, we are going to have enough housing, that our developers are going to be building enough new neighborhoods and rental apartments and low-income housing, that we're going to have enough of those resources available, that we won't see a significant crunch on our existing housing stock like we are seeing right now. You know, I think that's, as you said, part of the problem that we've had in the last few years is that we haven't been getting developments approved and built um, very quickly, that there's a ton of delays. You look at Lily Lake Road development, that's been taking a very long time to get completed. Um, we've had the Chandler Crescent development out in our end. Um, but what I, what I want to see avoid, though, is that what we're seeing out in the East End right now is a new, very large subdivision going in without the resources in place. And that is going to have twofold effect. One is it's going to drive everybody who's already out there crazy because the traffic and the uh, surface water and the sewage and all that isn't really ready for it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a smaller, it's, it's not a development that's going to, um, we need to have these smart developments happening quicker though, because we are really in a crisis point. We are really far behind where we should be at this point. So, you know, again, a strong strategic plan, developers that know the expectations that we have, I think we can do some great building and builds great neighborhoods, uh, hopefully fairly quickly. I'm getting a sense that housing is one of your main priorities as, if elected, because we started on transportation yeah. in the parkway and then we went back to housing. housing. Well, you know, it, it, to me, it's really the strategic plan. The strategic plan is key to all of this, right? If we if we have that good plan, it's such a guiding document for just about everything that will happen within our city now and moving forward. Um, you know, but it, it, it's all interlinked, right? We need the transportation network to hit uh, the housing goals we have. We need to have the houses to hit 
to, to house the people that we have in our city now and the people that are coming. And so, you know, I think that this is all really interlinked. We need the jobs and we need the businesses to come so that when people do move here, we're not simply a bedroom community to the GTA. We are our own vibrant city. And, you know, we sure will have some people working in the GTA, um, but we won't uh, simply become a bedroom community community of commuters. All right. Now, we're, we're just about to run out of time. Um, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about PDI because sure. that was a big uh, controversial issue. There's a lot of people in the community who uh, uh, aren't happy with the deal. I assume there's some people who are happy with the deal, but they're not nearly as vocal. Um, but I haven't, uh, I haven't come across a lot of people who are very happy with it. I haven't seen <laughs> anybody who said, oh, no, I'm in favor of it. I'm going to close the door on my face on that one. Yeah, so what's your thoughts on PDI? You know, I, I think the process uh, was failed. I think the process that we went through to get to uh, the sale of the PDI, it, it doesn't leave our residents with confidence that one, they're getting a value for the asset, two, that the, the deal was done in, in a way that um, really made sure we've got the most that we could, you know, a single tender. And then the process of it of the deal coming to look like it was going to be done and then falling apart and then coming back again in the exact same deal, it you know, leaves a lot of questions. And I think this is one of the ways that this current council has failed to, to engage with the residents of the city. If it is such a good deal, they should be able to have reasonable arguments and reasonable uh, explanations to their, the citizens they represent as to why it's a good deal. And, and quite frankly, I personally don't feel we've had it. I don't feel the dollar value is, is fair money for our asset. I think we, in a day of rising energy costs, even a little bit of control over what we spend on uh, our electricity bills is a good thing for the city to retain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, as I said, I, I feel I don't, as a resident, as a taxpayer, I don't feel I've gotten value for our money. And I don't feel that uh, we should have jumped at it as, as we did. So what then uh, is the role of a city councillor? Because I've talked to some of the councillors who did vote on that uh, on the Peter podcast and uh, who voted yes to the deal, who said that you know they felt justified in making that decision because PDI uh, looked like it was going to lose value. Uh, the polls here in Peterborough, which is what PDI is, the polls and wires, uh, they looked like they needed... Um, more money to to uh, repair and replace than it looked like they were going to be making out of it. So what do we do then? Uh, what would we do if we didn't have that deal? Well, you know, I think that I, I fully understand and I fully accept the fact that we do have an inf- a capital investment that needs to be made in PDI, as you mentioned, in poles and wires and the physical infrastructure that we have from that utility. Um, but again, I think that's a, I think that's a good investment. I think it's a it's traditionally been a, a, a profitable business for the city to own. Perhaps during our capital period investment periods, we're not going to make as much, and perhaps we might even lose a little bit of money. But overall, that just increases the value of the asset. I don't understand having to to maintain your system as a reason to dump it. Um, you know, I'm I'm not challenging the the. Um, integrity of any of the councillors. I'm sure they voted for what they believed in. But as I said, I, um, to me, it's a two-part problem. Is one, I don't believe the deal has been a good one for the city of Peterborough. And the second part is, is, is if it is such a good deal, they've, they've really done a very poor job of explaining it to the public as to why it was necessary to do it now. Okay. Um, I would have liked to have seen an open tender process where we're Anybody interested in purchasing it would have would have come forward. I think it would have helped us to set a, a 
better monetary value on the asset. I also think that, um, you know, to say that we would take that money and invest it and make a similar return, I think is a little bit folly because whether it's this council or the next council or the council after that, uh, I, I haven't, my experience as a journalist, not seeing too many um, municipal governments sit on 50 or $60 million, I worry that it would be used to uh, offset the mortgage on a new PMC or something like that. And then we not only lose our money-making asset, but now we've lost that revenue we were supposed to be getting out of uh, the sale price. Um, you know, and I, you know, sort of going back to the sale price a little bit, you know, you look at the the difference in numbers is, you know, the $105 million was the sale price, but we've got to retire 50, $55 million in debt. So the real sale price is 50, 55 million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought that was a little, uh, uh, insincere, a little in, in, in inaccurate to be floating those kind of numbers around the, the sale price is what you get in the bank at the end of the day, not, well, we're going to clear this debt too. That's already on PDI's books. So, yeah. Yeah, that hundred and five million dollars doesn't tell the whole story. No, it doesn't. And I and I, as I said, I I don't I'm not saying anybody did it purposely to deceive, but I I think it it was a bit deceptive in a in a way of of shining up a not very good deal for the city. Okay, uh, well, right now we're in a situation where the the deal is uh, if it's not in front of the Ontario Energy Board yet, it soon will be for approval. Um, what's the plan? Well, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of people who are far smarter on the electricity system than I am and then the, the way the OEB works and those kind of things. And I've had a few people saying, it's not much we can do about it. I also have a, a number of people, and I'm hopeful this will be the case, that the Ontario Energy Board will reject um, reject the deal. They do have a, a, a approval process, and one of the stipulations in that is that it must be to the benefit of the stakeholders, we the citizens of uh, Peterborough are the stakeholders, so um, if they determine that it's not a value, fair value sale or, or whatever their criteria is to determine that it's not in our best interest, they have the ability to reject it, and I'm hoping they will. Um, and if they do, I wouldn't be too eager to go out and try and start it up again. You know, I won't say we won't ever sell it. If somebody comes in with an offer you can't refuse, then, you know, it makes sense for the city, then I think you would have to consider that. But I'm not actively interested in uh, um, looking for a buyer or getting rid of the asset. I think it's a valuable asset that the city should hang on to. Yeah, and, uh, you know, right now, you know, that that number, that 50 to $55 million, if this deal does go through, um, what would you like to see done with that money then? Well, you know, truthfully, I'd like to see them follow through and, and put that money into some sort of investment that we get a similar rate of return. Um, to go out and spend that money, I think, would be, again, not a very wise idea. We saw the former Liberal government do that uh, when selling off hydro and using that money to, to alleviate debt and to offset other things and, and, and buy other things. And that money is now gone and the asset's now gone and the revenue is now gone. Uh, I think for a city the size of Peterborough, um, you know, a couple of million dollars in revenue from, from an asset is, is significant and we should do everything we can to maintain that. So I would be um, in favor of investing that money so that we get that continued rate of return. I don't know, that shiny new Memorial Center sounds pretty nice though. Yeah, no, and it, but it's, <laughs> I, to me it's not one or the other. It's, to me it, it's a matter of, of doing proper financing. You know, I think um, if we were to build a MEM Center, obviously it would have to be mortgaged and there would be costs associated with that, but I do believe that we could get a higher rate of return on investing that money than we could be on saving interest charges uh, from the PMs, from a new PMC. So, you know, and again, we want to make sure, though, as, as we build these things, that we are being wise and, and considerate with the, 
the people's money that you know we're, we're not looking to I'm not looking to to go on a spending spree by any stretch of the imagination we do have a number of things that need to be uh, uh, paid for and, and fixed up in the city but um, you know we need to be smart our taxes are high and, and they can't go much higher without really really starting to impact many more people than they do already so is this one of the issues where people have been slamming doors in your face at the, at the when you're going door to door? The PDI? Yeah. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't mean to disparage any of the other councillors who sat on council and voted for it, but uh, um, I have not come across a single person in my door knocking who has been in favor of selling PDI. So what is the biggest issue at the door? <sighs> taxes, property taxes are certainly um, a major issue. Um, you know, it's a challenge. I, I As I said, I'm, I'm not... I am not running on a campaign to reduce our local property taxes. Um, I want to keep them in check. I certainly want to be wise with the public purse, but we have a, a great number of infrastructure problems. Uh, roads need to be repaired. Uh, serviceable land needs to be acquired and, and serviced. Um, you know, so there's a number of things that we need to build in the city that we need to do in the city to improve. Roads are certainly a major, major issue, the, both the quality and, again, the, the Traffic congestion points within the city are huge, huge issues, especially for us out in the West End. And then again, it comes down to a lot of neighborhood issues of, of a lot of people feeling like they have a, a, a great home, a great street, but the neighborhoods are lacking. And so, um, you know, I think there's that. And, and as well, I think there's a lot of people who are looking for a, a different style of leadership, a different style of counselor. I think um, there's a lot of frustration in the city that people feel their their voices have not been heard and considered before decisions are made. Whether there's truth to that or not, that's the sentiment that they're feeling. And I think that, uh, we, you know, we, we as counselors, we as the municipal government, the, the group of people that will be making uh, decisions that affect almost everybody within the city. We need to have that engagement with the public and they need to have confidence that even if they don't see a decision made the way they want it to, that they do feel like their, their voices were heard and considered before decisions were made. All right. I think we're about to wrap up. Are there any messages that you want to get out there? Anything that uh, you want to add? Just get out and vote. Be involved. Pay attention to what's going on in your city. It uh, certainly keeps you uh, more informed and, and, and more aware of what's happening in your city and become involved. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much. Thanks for very much, Taylor. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. My pleasure. Great interview. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, to everybody else, we'll be back again soon.